sensible for espionage. Nacedo, we already know that he's like a killer, but he's also just like fucking rude. He's evil, but like the trains run on time. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season one, episode 21, The White Room. According to IMDb, this is the one where the gang must work together with Sheriff Valenti, Tess, and Nacedo after Max is captured and held at a military base by a special unit of alien hunters. This episode was written by Jason Catons and Thania St. John and was directed by Jonathan Frakes. So Ooh. they brought out all the big names for this one. Yeah. It originally aired on the 8th of May, 2000. And I want to put a content warning at the top. This episode includes scenes of physical and psychological torture, which we will be discussing. And a lot of this comes from special guest star, not special according to them, special according to me, David Conrad as Pierce, who is so good at being creepy. Yeah. You may recognize him from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Ghost Whisperer. We saw him in the last episode, but we didn't really talk about him since we had a special guest of our own, our uh, co-host Nomi. Um, and he also, I found out, was in Relativity, which is the show that Jason Catums had done that we spoke about because they had the first kiss on television, on network television between two uh, gay and or bisexual women. He was not one of them. <laughs> Okay, so the previously on was like all about Tess, or at least like most of it. it really focused on Tess, learning that she's an alien, a lot of Tess. And Pierce. Yeah. It was just Tess and Pierce. <laughs> and then we open up the episode in the white room, uh, where we have Max in stuck in the white room. Um, somehow, though, now magically in scrubs slash pajamas instead of his street clothes that he arrived in, which if there's like no doors or windows or ceilings and he's been asleep, I am maybe this is an unanswered question for the end. But I am very curious how uh, how he got changed into scrub pajamas which is one of the lighter aspects of this episode. Things get a lot darker than me wondering about pajamas. <laughs> I mean, uh, the agents were coming in and out, so I just thought someone probably had like changed him before they brought Pierce in, because maybe they were like, you're smelly. Like, here's some new clothes. We don't want to offend Pierce's olfactory senses. <laughs> I just kind of assumed that they had, like, you know, used some drug on him to have him be unconscious while they were transporting him and then changed him at one point before putting him in that room. Here's uh, what I had an issue with. Max says, I'm Max Evans. I live at 6025 Murray Lane. You can call my parents. This immediately, like right off the bat with this episode, I was like, um, so 6025 Murray Lane must be really crowded because the Evanses live there with Agent Stevens and his wife. <laughs> it is the address in Valenti's Rolodex for Agent Stevens' home contact oh information. Oh my god. Oh no. I can't believe. I mean, he lived in Alexandria and they live in Roswell. Oh but my god. The writers could not think of any other combinations of <laughs> house numbers and street names. Good Whatever. catch. Thanks. It's infuriating. <laughs> so my second question was, 
Does anyone call the Evans parents? It's the next morning. Max has been out all night. Isabel has been out all night. Maria has been out all night. Liz has been out all night. Alex has been out all night. (laughs) Where do their parents think they are? What do they think is happening? I actually, given like what we saw with Isabel wanting to tell her mom their secret, being held back only by Max, I would have loved to see her having to go through the process of figuring out like, can I tell mom? What should I tell mom? I'm scared out of my mind. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad would be freaking out so hard right now if they knew what was happening. Dad's a lawyer. Could he help us? Does he know important people? Like so many questions that I know Mm -hmm. they didn't have time to get into, but I think from like, from a psychological perspective would have been really interesting to see Isabel exploring that. And I don't think we've had enough of Isabel in um, recent episodes. Yeah. I had, I questioned this so many times during the episode. I was like, where are their parents? Where are their parents? Where are they? Yeah. This is an episode where time doesn't work, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about more later. Another one. So who knows? Maybe their parents are in a wormhole. So Pierce and some other guy are behind uh, what looks like it's probably like one way a one-way mirror. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think there yeah. are mirrors in the white room, but whatever. A one-way something. And yeah, Pierce is like, let him sleep. As if he's like being benevolent. Yeah. I think it was more like, let us sleep. Yeah. But so this brings us to, so we go to the credits and then we go to the crash down. When the kids are just getting back together, Maria and Alex just come in the door and they all act like they haven't seen each other. So assuming this all happens in chronological order, it's the next morning. Did they go home and just not talk to each other in the meantime? But Liz has been hanging out overnight with Tess and Michael and Isabel. Did it take them all night to get back to Roswell from the carnival that only took them a short time to get to? Like, what's going on with time here? It's still dark outside when Maria and Alex come in. So, like, maybe Pierce is questioning Max early in the morning before the sun has come up. But still, like, several hours after any carnival would be open and crowded. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Time does not function the same here. We've already established that. I think we know that. Yeah, it's Roswell. It works differently. <laughs> I also, I really wanted to see what Niseto was going to do when he turned himself into a clown. And we get no follow up on that. Like, yeah. what was his plan? No follow up Did he at do all. anything? Mm, oh, yeah. Why was he a clown? What did it accomplish? Did accomplished making it people who him. think they're afraid of clowns freak out for a second. <laughs> yeah. Right. Real clowns aren't scared. Right. Um, so the kids are like kind of freaking out, but Liz is like, don't worry, Max wouldn't have gotten himself killed. He's too smart for that, which is not how death works, Liz, buddy. (laughs) She's trying to be optimistic. She's trying to think the best possible outcome. I know. Also, Tess seems way too calm, but then she does say, you know, Pierce won't kill him. He wants to study him, which she's right about. Right. Yeah. She also has, like, a really cool side zigzag hair part. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. When Maria and Alex come in, Liz says, like, they've got Max. This FBI people have Max. And Maria walks right past her to go hug Michael. And I don't buy it for a second. No, she She would would hug her best friend first. Her best friend since childhood. Like, I know her relationship to Michael is important, too. But she would hug Liz first. And then she would go hug Michael, being thankful that he's okay. But she would 
definitely hug Liz first. I thought the same thing. Or she would hug them both at the same time. Like, they're both going through something. They both really care for Max. So, like, she would find a way to be there for both of them. Yeah. I do think cinematically, though, this happens because then we have this moment of Michael and Maria embracing. And then Izzy is embracing Alex. And then Liz is on her own. And Tess is on her own. Like, so I think it's... It's there as like a cinematic ploy to like tug on our heartstrings to mm-hmm. like show that Liz is alone in this. Like she's lost her partner and her friends still have their partner, their special person. Um, so like cinematically, I get it. But it but, rings like, false for me. Yeah, exactly. It's like as far as character development, it feels false. It doesn't make sense. This is also where we see Liz and Tess standing next to each other and Sherry Appleby is so much taller than Emily DeRobin. And Sherry Appleby is 5'3". Yeah, Emily DeRobin is so tiny. There's scenes later of her and um, and Catherine Heigl, Isabel, together when they're, like, in the military base and it's just the two of them. Michael's already gone off with Nicero. And, like, she just is so itty-bitty. You see, like, shots where it's, like, her looking up at Isabel and Isabel looking down at her. And it's just like such a stark difference. Like they need some scully boxes for Emily DeRobin, please. Well, Google says that she's five, two, which means Shiri is just wearing platforms or heels. Yeah. Or something, it could be that. Cause she did look more than an inch taller. Oh, for sure. So Liz floats the idea of going to Valenti. Isabel kind of seems open to it, but Michael and Tess shoot her down and they're just like, well, we're going to handle it with our alien powers that we don't really know how Uh to use. So Tess asks them, like, what are your powers? And they each go into detail, like, you know, this, but I, I can't control it that much. And Isabel talks about her powers. And then she doesn't tell hers. They're like, what are yours? And she's just like... Uh, you know, being around Nacedo has taught me a few things. But how vague is that? It seemed a little yeah, unfair. Yeah, I think she's, like, keeping some things close to the vest. I also, I love it when Isabel is like, we can do easy things, like change simple molecular <laughs> structure. Yeah, so easy. Okay. So easy. And then she says, but we don't use them very often. And, like, in my head, I was flashing back to every time Isabel warmed up tacos or coffee with her hands. I saw her melting cheese. Or, yeah. like, took out coffee stains. Okay. Or, like... Change the color of nail polish. Yeah. Yeah. So she says she's only dreamwalked a few times and she like doesn't really know how to do it. But we've seen her do it a few times. Yeah. And didn't seem like she was a newbie at it. We haven't seen her do it for many, many episodes. So I think this is to refresh the audience who's watching it in 1999 and 2000 in real time and like probably don't have it like taped on VCR and like religiously rewatching it multiple times that like remember way back at the beginning of this season when Isabel dreamwalked a couple of times like she has that skill reminder because we're going to use it this episode. I thought it was really interesting that Alex was like what about that dream thing you do and I was like oh my god does Alex know that Isabel was in his dream like when did she tell him was she like hey babe guess what I can do BT dubs totally did it thanks for dreaming about me with that awesome live band that was so baller. (laughs) Yeah when did he learn about that? Mm Hmm. One of the great mysteries of this show. Like, when did he learn that she could do that? And why hasn't he put it together? Or who knows? Maybe he has and is just okay with it. Yeah. Maybe it's like a flirty thing they do sometimes. They're like, well, we're teenagers. And sometimes maybe we have parents who want to know where we are. So like when we're both asleep at night, I'll just come visit you in your dreams. 
Because we now know aliens can't get pregnant from dreams, so they can do yep. whatever they want. <laughs> can't get chlamydia from dreams either, kids. So do all the dream boinking you want. <laughs> and on that note, we head back to the white room. Where uh, Max is now strapped down to a bed and Pierce shows up dressed uh, in all of his like crazy, um, what's the word I want? Like hazmat. Yeah, hazmat. Yeah. So Pierce shows up in all of his crazy like hazmat get up and then reveals himself to be Agent Pierce and is like, we don't need form. We don't need procedure here, Max. And reveals to Max that they have human bodies and human bone structure and organs, but not human blood. Oh, and then we get Pierce clarifies for us how Nisato has been killing folks. He uh, lays hands on them and immediately, I guess, raises their internal body temperature to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. For those of you out there using a sensible temperature system, that is 82 Celsius. Yeah. Pierce says they brought in four aliens from the 1947 crash. Two of them were dead. Two of them were alive. Who were the dead ones? Were they the kids' parents or the engineers or like whatever? My question is more like who is the other alive one? Yeah. Yeah. Like where are they? Well, the other one was the other alive one was tortured for three years and then assumably died after being tortured for three years. Oh, yeah. But it's not confirmed that they died. No, it's not. The, like, they never say, we tortured them to death. Doesn't it say the one was in captivity for three years? Um, I'm just know. assuming that after three years that the other one died. Who knows? And we see that Pierce has the communicator, and his big question to Max is, mm-hmm. where is the other one, and how do they work? Those are his main questions. Um, and Max, you know, I'm just a kid. I don't know anything. Um, so he brings more hazmat suit dudes to come in and drug him. Yeah. Then we go to Liz's house where Alex and Isabel are on the bed, which has a plaster or clay star of David above it, which is new. I noticed that as well because it's like right between their heads. Oh, yes. Right there. Yeah. And I was like, are the Parkers Jewish or is this just like a shout out to Shiri Appleby who's Jewish? Mm. Or is this just another like thing that they've pilfered from an archaeological site back when her (laughs) grandma was doing that? Who knows? They're also so everyone else besides Alex and Isabel are out on the balcony, which is considerably smaller than it was in early episodes when Liz is out there writing in her journal. And it has totally different. It's like missing all the decorations that have been there in previous episodes. So that's interesting. Maybe the lights just like aren't plugged in and stuff. Those twinkle Maybe lights, as a you know? punishment for sneaking out and staying out all night with a boy, her parents demolished half the balcony. Yeah, I that mean, sounds like a yeah accurate. Reasonable. I do really like this where Isabel is like, "I've never done this before. I don't know what's gonna happen." And Alex is like, "Well, I'm gonna stay here because if I'm holding on to you, baby, you won't get lost." Cue, cue my crying. So nice. Oh. <laughs> it's so good. Alex, so Alex good. is a pure so soul. We don't together. deserve him. They don't deserve oh, him. I Oh, oh, Alex. So great. Yeah. I mean, and Catherine Heigl does an amazing job when she does dreamwalk into, I guess it's not dreamwalking, but she like walks into Max's consciousness mm-hmm. and like her trying to reach him oh, is yes. so moving. Yes. When and he's then, drugged, like, so his brain is messed up and it's affecting her physically within his dream yeah. state. Oh, yeah. Like, she was like falling, uh, or falling over and stuff. 
Yeah, and she just wants to get to him so that she can help him. And then when she comes out of it, oh my gosh, Ugh. Catherine Heigl's acting is like she's amazing, heart wrenching. Academy Award, right I there. I do. The thing that I thought was weird though was like when the thing ends, the dream people, the people in Max's reality, are like pulling her away. But we know that real people can't see her. So is he hallucinating this? Is she hallucinating this? I I assumed she was hallucinating it. Yeah, or that it, he's hallucinating it. It's like part of his consciousness stream because it's not really fully a dream. So it's like affecting the way yeah. the flow works because he's drugged and there's people in his space and he's not really fully asleep. He's just sedated. Yeah. It was confusing. I thought it was really well done, though. And I think Jason Bear's performance is great. Mm-hmm. And one of the interviews that, that I read in those books that I consult said that, like, he said the room was actually, like, really claustrophobic feeling. It had one door. It didn't have any windows. And it got really warm in there as soon as they closed the door. So, mm. like, a lot of his emotion, not that mm. he was actually panicking or anything, but, like, a lot of that emotion was easy for him to access because of the way that he was feeling. Just being, I mean, yeah. like, if you imagine how many people are involved in a TV shoot, there's a ton of people crowded into a small, hot room, and he's going through the motions of someone who's being tortured. Yeah. yeah. And even Ugh. if he's physically yeah. safe, like you're still a certain amount of that is happening in your body. Yeah. And to your body. But Max does manage to convey to Isabel two really important pieces of information. Mm-hmm. One is that Agent Pierce is the person that they know as Deputy Fisher. And two is just this image that he sends her of the eagle in the five-pointed star, which is the symbol he saw on the floor of the um, facility as they were rolling him in, and she remembers having seen it at the UFO Center. So that's where they all go next. Mm-hmm. To At which point I think we can ask, um, one, where is Milton? Milton. Milton, oh Milton, I want you a dog. You showed up to work when flacking is the default. We miss you, we love you, we need you right here. Milton, oh Milton, why did you disappear? Come back to us, Milton. Why isn't this place open? Like, yeah. by this point, what time is yeah. it? It was light outside when they were on the balcony. Yeah. My question, too, was uh, if Milton's not there and Max is not there, <laughs> how are they getting into the museum? Yeah. Who has who has stolen Max's keys to access the museum? But anyway, they're at the museum. Excuse yes. me. <laughs> Do we forget about Michael entering from the yeah. roof or like a, a a pipe right wasn't there like a, a shoot a from the roof or something a display yeah. hatch <laughs> yeah okay so what i assumed because isabel reminds us later that she has opened doors before with her oh. powers and we've seen michael do yeah. it too yeah so i assumed that they just magicked their way in good point Alien'd i sometimes in. forget they have magical powers yeah well, they only have them sometimes, or they only use yeah. them sometimes. Yeah. So um, they say, oh, Max is at the Eagle Rock military base. This is not a real place. However, Eagle Rock is a neighborhood in Los Angeles, and there is an Eagle Rock Plaza, which has an Armed Forces Career Center. Okay. So I am headcanoning 
that there's like a private doorway in the back of the Eagle Rock Plaza Armed Forces Career Center that goes to a secret government installation. In California. Excellent. Yes. Although, according to the placard, Eagle Rock is somewhere in Chavez County, which is the same county as Roswell. So maybe there's just like a ton, like a really long multi-state tunnel. really long tunnel. Also, they seem to be like getting there quickly. Yeah. Maybe there's like a teleportation hatch. Yeah. But it only works sometimes because time doesn't make sense in Roswell. And this is the second time Liz proposes that they go to Valenti because he has resources and Michael shoots her down. And honestly, I think it's reasonable that after they found out Deputy Fisher was involved in this, they think Valenti might be. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a little weird that they don't seem to consider that later on. Although, like, I I appreciate that they trust Valenti and I'm glad they're bringing Mm -hmm. him in. But I think Michael raised a valid point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the humans trust Valenti without the alien's consult. Right. Right. Um, I appreciated, I guess this was Jonathan Frakes, the director's little touch, when, like, for the very first part of this conversation, when Liz is essentially arguing that they should trust Valenti and Michael is arguing that they shouldn't, right in between their faces is the trust from the trust no Mm. one display. Mm. And I was just like, I see. Yeah. I see what you're doing. Nice little touch. I did not appreciate Liz saying to Michael, bring him back to me. Like she's the only one. Only she was affected by this. But like it gave Maria then the opportunity to tell Michael to come back mm-hmm. to her. And he Which kisses is very her. nice. And he just like goes over and kisses her. He's sweet about it. So sweet. And then the aliens go adventuring. And who the heck knows what time any of this is That's happening. That's not important right now. What's okay. important is finding Max. And bringing him back. What's important is that these three children break into a presumably highly classified military base by opening a trap door and walking down a ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you haven't gotten to military bases that way before? Yeah. I mean, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? That's their motto. Yeah. It reminded me of Fallout, which is a video game I'm playing right now where like, mm-hmm. yeah, there'll just okay. be like a hatch you can climb into, but it's not real life. Which is good because they have all taken the time to go home and change their clothes. Each Michael went to his house. Tess went to her <laughs> house. Isabel went to her house. And they completely changed their outfits and Isabel and Tess restyled their hair. Because you know what? Max might get tortured a little longer, but I want pigtails. Gosh darn it. And I'm <laughs> going to go home and I'm going to put on my pigtails outfit. Pigtails are very sensible for espionage. Yeah, I mean, you got to look good for the government agents, right? Yeah, we find we see for the first time the X-ray slash fingerprint scanner. We see that the agent has security level five clearance. We will see this exact same screen again when Michael does this later in the episode because we don't need to pay for graphics twice. It sounds like both Isabel and Tess are wearing high heels because they are just clomping and stomping, making the loudest noises, especially in the stairwell, but in the hallway, too. So loud. Maybe Tess felt so insecure standing next to Liz that she was like, ooh, I'm going to be standing next to Isabel and Isabel's way taller. So like, I better go home and put on my heels. And if I'm doing that, then I might as well put on an outfit that goes with heels. And then Isabel was like, well, if you're going home to change that, I'm going to go home to change. And then Michael was like, well, I might as well stop home to get more hair gel. And I guess if I'm there, then I should throw on like a cute jean jacket. And then that's how we got where we are. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Also, I don't know if any of you watch with captions on, but I do. And when they first got into this building, there was a caption that said liquid bubbling. And I didn't hmm. see nor hear any liquid. I don't recall seeing or hearing any liquid bubbling either. Yeah. 
Maybe it's like because they go through the boiler room where we see them later. Maybe. Maybe there's a background noise of that. Maybe. I just thought that was weird. So when they, like, Tess seems to know about, like, oh, soldiers always patrol in intervals, which, whatever. But it seems like from the way she talks, Tess and Nisato have come really close to being caught before. And I'm really curious to know more about what that looked like and how, if and how, she actually made it through this long without knowing that Nisato is a killer. Because yeah. frankly, I think it's unlikely that there were yeah. never any circumstances where he would feel like he had to kill in front of her. And he doesn't think killing humans is a big deal yeah, at all. Yeah, I feel all. like he, he yeah, definitely would have killed in front of her. I thought about this later, especially when Tess sees the silver handprint. It's like she's never mm-hmm. seen it before. She doesn't know what it's a reaction to or what has caused it. Like she seems genuinely shocked by it Mm. um, when she sees that later on the dead agent. I don't buy it. But then we go back to the white room where Max is all woozy and Pierce is like, hang on, maybe if I want to get coherent information out of someone, I shouldn't have knocked them out. Huh? Let me rethink the strategy. Well, like, buddy, you like clearly have done this before. We know you've tortured Topolsky. This isn't your first rodeo. Like, Get it together. Also, he seems to be, like, pretty stressed out, like, which I think helps make him scarier, kind of. But he's, like, very Uh angry, distressed. He kind of, like, yells at and attacks one of the hazmat suit guys um, because he's frustrated. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So the crash chat is open for business. I don't know who the heck is working there because... (laughs) Liz, Alex, and Maria are sitting at a booth, and I would like to point out, we see that Liz has changed her clothes, which is fine, because they're basically at her house, but Alex and Maria have not changed their clothes, and I presume this is because they didn't want to leave Liz's side, which is great, and I think maybe... Isabel, Michael, and Tess should take note that when you're in dire straits, your priorities shouldn't be looking good for the secret government base you're going to infiltrate. Especially Isabel, because... She doesn't have to change her clothes or her hair to look good. We all know this. None of them do. They're fine. They're fine. Yeah. The sheriff comes in and he's trying really hard to like extend the olive branch, get them to trust him, offer his help, be like, listen, I freaking saw two Maxes. Look at me not freaking out. How awesome is it that I'm handling this so well? Please, please let me help you. He says, I hope the Max who got captured isn't the one that we, we all, all care about. about. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Whatever, but they're still not ready. So they agree to give the aliens until four o'clock to get it together. It's currently 1123. Yeah. It is 1123. Let's all keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, no. Presumably AM. The kids are freaking traipsing around this military base all gosh darn day is the point of this. Okay, all day. What are they doing? How do they not get caught? What are they accomplishing? Thank goodness there aren't any security cameras on a secret military base. Yeah, and so few locked doors, too. I mean, the one spot they need to get through is locked, but they go so many other places without locks or security. But anyway... Um, so then we head back to the white room where there is a very uncomfortable to watch torture montage. I had a really hard time watching this. It's very sad. It's very disconcerting and uncomfortable. 
but I did think the song choice, it's this really intense, like hard rock song playing. And I felt like it was a really good, like the lyrics fit really well, as well as the intensity of the music. And I was wondering, Lisa, since you usually keep track of all the music notes, if this was maybe one of the few songs that was original to the episode that they managed to keep, or is this a new song choice as well? So it is a new song choice. There is one song in this episode that we already saw when Isabel first dreamwalked. That is from the original. That's the song Safe by the Grassy Knoll. But this song is Hypnogaja? Hypnogaja? I don't know. It's their song called Nothing Box. The original song in this was Remy Zero's Yellow Light. I also know this is absolutely not the point because they've been like injecting Max with stuff and throwing him in ice baths and giving him electric shocks. And I also like found this very disturbing to yeah, watch. Same. If you're going to give someone electric shocks, you have to give them something to bite down on or else they will absolutely bite through their tongue, which is going to cause a ton of blood loss. So I really feel like Pierce hasn't had experience torturing people. I don't know what kind of training he's gotten. He does say um, a little bit later in the episode that he... Well, it doesn't say how long he's been working in the unit, but he's only been in charge of the unit since 1999 when the previous person was killed by Nacero. It's only 2000 right now. So he has not been in charge of this unit for very long. And he looks like a pretty but young guy. Presumably he's been like in the unit and yeah. he did torture Topolsky and he did yes. dismember Agent Stevens in front of his colleagues. Yes. But we, you know, know, he's maybe not as experienced or put together as he should be if his predecessor was killed suddenly when he had not been in power for, you know, when maybe he hadn't, when maybe Pierce hadn't been working in the unit for that long. I don't know how then he got chosen to take over, but he did. Anyway, so we go to another part of the military base where Tess, Isabel, and Michael are kind of figuring out what they're going to do next to plan their attack. Isabel is trying to get into Max's head and she says she can't. So she gets really worried about him. And Tess says this weird thing. She says, mm-hmm. I would have felt it if something happened to him, which like, what yeah, the hell something is happening? Uh huh. Okay. So here's what I, the question I had on this was, do we think that Max is consciously blocking Isabel so that she won't feel his pain? Or do we think that because his mind is in such distress and disarray, she can't find an access point because it's not like the Max that she knows. It's not his usual personality. Or is it just like some after effects of these drugs that were in his system that they flushed out, but maybe they're still affecting him? I thought this was really interesting. One way I kind of think about this is that... Normally, she's dreamwalking, so the person is not conscious, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that she yeah. was able to do it to Max before because he was on drugs that kind of were making him woozy and kind of, like, not mm. aware, the way that you're not aware when you're asleep. But okay. right now, I feel like he is so aware of every, you know, every nerve in his body and so focused on that that, like, no part of him is asleep. So I, it could be that that's also... Mm. Uh, making it harder for her to get into his brain. Just that was the way I took this as well, that him being drugged was closer to him being in a dream state. So even though he maybe wasn't officially asleep, it was close enough to a dream yeah. state that she was able to access him, even if it was like this weird, like woozy, drugged out access point that affected her as well. Like she was still able to access him and now she can't because he's 
Okay. He's very awake. Yeah. But I do like the idea of that Max could have also been blocking her to protect her. Michael also here, true to his character, is like, I'm just going to take action. I'm going to handle mm-hmm. this. Like, I'll figure it out. Which, baby, no, you won't. But I appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> you're going to try, but you're going to try. But also, like, he would probably get killed. So I'm glad they're like, no, no, no. And then we go to the crash down and we see the clock and it is 4.06. What in the heck have these children been doing running around a top secret military base for four and a half hours now? They've been hiding in corners yeah. trying not to get caught mm-hmm. for four and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> Alex said, oh, maybe they're on their way back already, which means they had already been gone long enough that that was a possibility. They've been there all day. Yeah. All day. Yeah. See how long it takes you to sneak around a secret military base without getting caught, Lisa. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I'm not doing anything else right now. She's like, okay, let's find out. <laughs> and this is where Liz is like, we're we're just going to Valenti. Like, Max was ready to trust him, so I'm ready to trust him. Even though Maria's like, I don't know if this is our responsibility. Liz is just like, well, our responsibility is to save Max, and that's what I'm trying to do. So... And then we go back to the morgue, and this is where, Lorena, you had mentioned that Tess seems surprised to see the silver handprint on a dead yes. body and find out that, like, ooh, this is how Nisato's killing people. I don't know if I believe her. And I also wonder, why isn't the morgue locked? Even within a military base, I would feel like there would be, obviously, there's different security clearances mm-hmm. and things to get through certain areas, like... Why isn't the morgue locked? Why can they just wander in there? Or, like, at least attended by a human. Yeah, these are questions I have. (laughs) So, Nisato, like, reveals himself, and Tess is like, how dare you leave me alone like that? I'm like, what? That's her initial reaction? Isn't, like, you murdered these people? It's, how could you leave me alone for a night? Have they never been apart before for a night? Nope. This seems weird considering how much murder he's been doing. Seems unlikely if she doesn't know he's killing people that they've never mm-hmm. been apart. Well, she also didn't know mm-hmm. where he was, right? I think I think it's like that yeah. he left without saying where he That's was going. True. Yeah, but what does he usually tell her? Hey, baby girl, I'm just going to murder some people. NBD. Don't going to up. work. I mean, I'm going whale watching. It'll I'll be <laughs> uh, go bird watching trip. I'll be back in a few days. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's watching for those whale birds, Alita. <laughs> birds or whales. Um, how many? I mean, he probably went on different trips, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. true. There are a lot of animals you have to watch out for. Uh-huh. Assumably, he's had to have some sort of job over the years, unless he's just, like, um, manipulating the molecular structure of, like, metal to, like, make his own money. Um, Ooh, you know? that'd be fun. <laughs> so, assumably, he's had to have a job and, like, do some form of work at various times in his life, so... You know, there are excuses for why he could have, like, legitimately told her he had to be somewhere else and she doesn't know that he's killing people. But yeah, he is a consultant for the (laughs) army. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he really was. We don't know. Maybe. So Michael tells Nisato, I've been looking for you for a long time and I found it really interesting that Michael didn't say we've been looking for you. He said, I've been looking looking for you. And Nisato says, not as long as I've been looking for you. And I say, excuse me, sir. Did you not think to look in the place where you crashed? Where you knew other aliens had crashed? Did it never occur to you? Maybe I should freaking check Roswell for some aliens? Because it occurred to literally every conspiracy theorist. (laughs) So what you doing, brah? 
And to the Here's, FBI. Uh, I mean, this doesn't answer the Roswell general question. Um, and I'm going to preface this with uh, my brain is a sieve, so I genuinely don't remember if this is something that is answered later. But, like, I'm assuming the pods were supposed to hatch at a certain time, and the aliens, the adult aliens, two of whom are dead, one of whom is captured, and Nisero, who escaped, were supposed to come back for those children's. Mm. Um Perhaps the other three hatched early somehow, or Nisero was delayed in getting to them because of the capture from which he escaped and was on the run. So when he got to the secret spot, that Tess was the only one that was mm. there. And he didn't know right. how to find the other three, mm -hmm. but he should know what they look like because they're in that like magical book that Tess yes. had. So my theory is yes. falling apart. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. So I was also thinking like maybe he was afraid to go back close to Razzle because of what happened to him at this military base. However, like you said, he knows what they look like. He could have followed Roswell news. He could have subscribed to a Roswell newspaper. He could have looked for Roswell local TV stations and looked for a headline like random kids discovered wondering the desert naked and alone no questions asked no medical tests performed <laughs> and then he would have been like aha yeah i like this shot that takes us into the sheriff's office it's like this shadowy shot where we see like sheriff valenti in shadow and then we see liz's head like emerging into the shot also in shadow and it's like slightly sinister it's a little like noirish mm. i was expecting jim to be like and then this dame came in and she needed my help. I could tell from the look in her eyes. <laughs> yes, I really liked this shot as well with the shadow from his door projecting onto the wall with his name. Yeah, but instead he's just standing there looking at this landscape painting. And I don't know if y'all have the same thing I thought, but there is something in this landscape painting that is probably a cloud, but could easily also be a UFO. Oh, it's totally a UFO. Okay. I totally thought that it was a landscape painting of a UFO landing. Also, this is something I'm guessing neither of you noticed, but he looks really hot in this scene. Yeah, I can't <laughs> say I noticed. So, like, his shirt is unbuttoned at the collar, and he's got a little stubble going on, and I think they did this to make him look friendlier and less severe. Yeah. Uh, but it's working for me. <laughs> I also, I really like that, like, Liz tells Valenti some of the story, but she won't tell him everything she knows, and he's still happy to help yeah which i appreciate but i also think is dumb because there's literally no way that she could think jim doesn't know by now that the kids are aliens yeah, yeah but she doesn't want to it's not her secret to tell and she has said that before and so i i appreciate and respect that she manages to like basically convey what needs to be said without actually saying it okay so i get that and i do appreciate that but I think in this situation, there was some potentially useful and or important information that Jim needed to know. Like, hey, the aliens have these powers. Nisato has these powers and he has used them in the past to kill. You need to be really careful around him. He can shapeshift. That's why you saw the two maxes. Like, you need to be super cautious because this isn't something that's going to occur to a regular human that this is the situation he could potentially be walking into. Yeah. And then also, like, the aliens have powers. So if there's, like, a locked door, don't be afraid to be like, hey, Michael, buddy, like, I need you to take care of this for me. Don't worry. It's cool. I'm not going to try to get you in trouble. But, like... But we need to open this door. Yeah. Like, I can count on you for these things. So I get what Liz is doing, but I think it's really impractical and it's potentially putting Jim at risk. Yeah. You can't have that. Look at his stubble. <laughs> Don't endanger the stubble. And he's now like the only adult who knows who 
isn't overtly a bad guy. Yeah, I still don't get why they don't just tell the Evans parents, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, who knows? We're back in the base. We're in, I think it's a boiler room, judging by Nacedo's diagram and the fact that one of the pipes going above them just says, chilled water. (laughs) Nacedo is back in the form of Ed Harding. I guess he's just, like, comfortable in that form now. He's never shown anyone his alien form. So maybe this is just like his default for this time. Although Tess says he's a different person everywhere they go. But he has a clipboard and he has them synchronize their watches. So you know that he has plans with a capital P. Yes. I'm sorry. Would three teenagers really all be wearing watches? No. They all do, and they drive me crazy throughout this entire episode because none of the times reflected on their wristwatches reflect the time that is supposed to be happening in the episode. Speaking of which, it's 547. Liz just left the sheriff's office and already an hour and a half more has gone by. Are you kidding me? What have they been doing all day? (laughs) Oh, but Nacedo wants them to... scan and memorize or not memorize the escape route he wants them to scan it and like input it into their brain and izzy and michael are like uh we can't do that and he's like well then memorize it you have two minutes go get your shit together but i'm assuming this means this is something tess can do right you would think Mm -hmm. yeah if he assumes they can then i yeah. We learned that the aliens can't get through depleted uranium because it is composed of heavy atoms, which they can't manipulate. Uranium is, in fact, the heaviest naturally occurring element with an atomic mass of 238.0289. I do not know what the units are for that. I do not science. <laughs> but for a comparison, so uranium is 238 whatever. So we saw Michael go through the like steel of the locker, which is carbon plus iron. So carbon is lighter. The atomic mass of carbon is 12 point something, and the atomic mass of iron is 55 point something. So uranium at 238 is yes, very high. Much heavier. Very heavy. Yeah. So. Even our non-science brains can understand that. <laughs> 200 yes. is high. That number's bigger than the other numbers. <laughs> yeah. It's a Mm -hmm. lot bigger. But I'm curious, like, do they have a limit? So, like, the atomic mass of lead is 207.2. Could they do lead? Like, where's the threshold? Have they tested this? I'm guessing they found this out. Like, I'm guessing the FBI knows specifically because they did all these horrible tests on the aliens that they captured in 47. But thinking about them getting this information tortured out of them made me really, like, I'm not going to say sympathetic to Nacedo, But I understand how he could kill the government agents working for this specific agency without feeling super bad about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not endorsing it, but I get it. Understandable. Yeah. So he talks to them about going through that door, the one with that very high security, the handprint thing, the one that is made out of that metal. Um, Mm -hmm. And he explains why he can't go through the door himself, why he can't use that. Because although he can Mm. change his fingerprints, it does a bone scan. It does an x-ray. And because he is full alien, he doesn't have bones, but they are part human. So they do. (laughs) And Lisa's head is exploding. Should I just save this for unanswered questions? (laughs) I want to shout out to Polsky, who is the special unit's only Only female agent. Hey, Kathleen, buddy, great job shattering that glass ceiling. Really proud of you. Sorry you had to die. Men suck. Yes. But it makes sense that the bad guys are sexist. Yeah, pretty much. Don't hire women. Oh, I had a question. So, okay. We go to the white room. 
do we see Max here using super speed or do we see a weird camera effect because Max is in this altered state from the drugs? Because I think I initially two. thought he was using super like alien speed, but it seems like maybe that's not the case. I think it's number two. Yeah, I think so okay. also. Bummer. I was hoping that was a thing that they had because that's cool. Also, question, Max seems to have his hand on Pierce's chest when Pierce is like, don't try using your powers. Did he think, was Max trying to kill him? Ooh, maybe. Or was Max trying to wound him or just push him away? I didn't think about that, but maybe Max is trying to kill him, even if he's never used his powers that way. Like, after all of that torture and shit going on, like, I think that he would be ready to kill to get out of there for his own safety. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily know how to use his powers that way either. You know, he knows that Nisero has killed people by placing a hand on the chest, but he doesn't necessarily know the mechanics of it. I think he very well could have been actually trying to kill him in that moment, but Mm -hmm. um, either he doesn't know how, like you said, or the the drug they gave him to um, make it so he couldn't use his powers could still be affecting Mm -hmm. him. Speaking of that drug, so Pierce says that what they've done is suppress the neurotransmitters in his cerebral cortex, which is where most of their powers come from. Yep. Did anyone Google Alta Vista ask Jeeves, what's the cerebral cortex? It's two thirds of the brain's total mass. It's most of what's happening in your head. It's where your gray matter is. It lies over and around most of the brain structures and is responsible for the following. Determining intelligence, determining personality, controlling motor function, planning and organization, processing touch sensation, processing sensory information, and processing language. This is where your frontal, temporal, parietal, and occipital lobes all lie. So if they're blocking those neurotransmitters, then, like, Max is a slug, basically. Yeah, he would not have been able to speak. Yeah. So I thought this was funny because it starts showing images of Michael and Isabel. But like, where did they get that footage? Because it's not it's not surveillance footage. That is like from a camera in their face. Did he pull these images from Max's memory? No, because the footage of Alex and Maria when he's talking about friendship is from the concert that they performed in the show Blind Date. And this happened. They only went on stage after Max left. So I don't think the FBI has the ability to take memories out of his brain anyway, but maybe they're freaking sending agents around with camera, video camera, huge video cameras in 1989 to like take video of kids that are friends with suspected alien. No, this doesn't make sense. They also have very sophisticated video editing technology because they created this like Liz dead thing yeah eyeballs which like great job using photoshop kids yeah i believe though that the government would have somebody with excellent photoshop skills on staff yeah yeah what i really liked about this scene is that this is where we start to explore we don't really get into it we don't go deep but some of the philosophical questions start coming up here where max tells pierce you're evil and pierce says i'm evil i'm risking my life to save my country my planet from being colonized by alien life by you this is so much the world that we live in right now Mm -hmm. let's like come on yeah this is the world that we're living in where people do evil things thinking that the ends justify Mm -hmm. the means They have totally dehumanized anyone who they see as other than themselves. The us versus them mentality. They don't even consider themselves to be evil or that there's a problem with what they're doing. Like, Like, the problem is that people really do think that they are doing things for the greater good. 
Yeah, they're men who would go to any lengths to do what they think needs to be done. Yeah. So I think Pierce and Nisado are two sides of the same coin. Both mm-hmm. of them are oh, men absolutely. who would go to any lengths to do what they think needs to be done to protect mm-hmm. their people, their way of yeah, life. absolutely. And unfortunately, this is something we see all the time in the yep. real world. Ugh. This hit really close to home for me when I was watching this. Yeah, it's definitely something we can all frustratingly relate to. Yeah. So I distracted myself by noticing that when Pierce tells Max, you've got 10 seconds, he holds up his Ritz watch, which shows approximately 530. Stop it. So what is time? Who cares? It doesn't matter. (laughs) So, okay. Pierce just straight up is like, we're going to murder your girlfriend. Tell us where the orb is. And so Max tells him, and I really want to know where it was. Where was the orb? Where did they hide it? Like, was it in the cave? Was it in the desert? Was it in Evans's house? And Pierce knocked on the door and was like, hey, Mrs. Evans, I know you're not concerned about where your child is, but I need to go into his bedroom and get an orb from under his bed because that's where we know they keep secret stuff because they're very, very stupid. My my assumption was that it was back at Michael's house Mm. after they got it back from Valenti that they took it back to Michael's house, which would be the only place since Michael lives alone, since he's an emancipated minor, um, through some miracle of a matter of hours. (laughs) Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, the, you know, that would be the place where there's no other prying eyes that are going to look for it and would also be the place that would be easiest for the military to get into because there's no adult situation yeah. or prying eyes. So the next little scene between Michael and Isado at the morgue is the basis of most of the things that I have written down for my unanswered questions section. So I don't want to get too into them. (laughs) This is nonsense. Their alien, quote-unquote, alien powers aren't alien powers, even though Nisado has some of the same powers that are alien. Their alien powers are actually future human powers. So is that also future human powers? blood is that why their blood looks weird? right i don't know so did y'all see that movie i think it was called lucy it was with scarlett yeah. johansson mm-hmm. and that's what this made me think of like the idea is if you can tap into the full potential of your completely human brain you can like alter the world around you gravity doesn't apply to you the laws of physics don't apply to you you essentially like can change the entire universe also this is like a common thing that they say in like in sci-fi movies and tv shows that we only use 10 percent of our brain and like if we could access the other t- that is just not true we use the majority of our brain we don't use only a fraction of it yeah. that's not true and like even if we're not using it all at the same time that doesn't mean we're not using all of the different yes, areas of it there's are. not like some secret hidden area that we haven't mapped yet that makes us be able to levitate that's no. not a thing. That's not how that works. Yeah, but I feel like this is a popular sci-fi concept yeah. that, like, we're not using all of our brain, and if we were, we would have access to so much more power and ability. So I feel like this show then is going on that assumption, yeah. and that in seven thousand years we will have developed these abilities, and physics will no longer exist. Nisado tells him, like, "Oh, you were engineered to be like what humans could be like in a several thousand years." Seven thousand. Who among them knew what humans would be like in several thousand years? Are they from the future? We know that they are aliens. Maybe they can time travel. So we know that Nasato is a killer. He's not necessarily a good guy. But also, he is just fucking rude. He is an asshole because Michael was trying so hard, trying his hardest to change his fingerprint to match this guy's fingerprint. And Nasato just casually like checks his watch. 
He's just like, he's like this is taking Haven't too figured long. it out yet? <sighs> Where's your brain power? You still haven't gotten it? I just found that very yeah, rude. Yeah, and Michael's like, can you give me some help here? And he's like, you have the power in your brain. Like, okay, great. Well, explain to me how to use it, please. Like, that doesn't so help. So rude. And then we go to Tess and Isabel in the, they're still in the boiler room, mm-hmm. I think. Something like yeah. that. Hiding out somewhere. And uh, we find out that Tess has this really cool superpower or alien power that, like, maybe will have in several thousand years. <laughs> And um, she can, like, manipulate the images that you see in front of your face, which is, you know, I hope I have that power in so a couple valuable. thousand years. Oh, I hope no one has that power. That sounds horrifying. I hope only <laughs> I have that power. <laughs> okay. It would come in real handy, and it's going to come in real handy when they need to use that power along with Isabel's dreamwalking to help rescue Max. Yeah. So speaking of the dreamwalking, I also think it's, I mean, implied, like... I think it's confirmed that Tess did send Michael and Isabel those visions. So Tess made them think she was pregnant, right? Like she could make them think those things in their dream brains, I think, mm-hmm. as well. So that's like also, a combination okay. of her imagery and and yeah. Isabel's dream. And walking. Isabel's dream. Walking. So the thing that I can't get over in this scene, though, is that they're in this super stressful time. Everyone's undergoing like a, a horrible experience. There's a lot of trauma. Tess could easily send Isabel a vision of Ricky Martin in the shower. This is a vision we know from previous episodes Isabel would thoroughly enjoy. Instead, <laughs> Tess sends Isabel a vision of herself being carted off screaming by a government agent, which just makes Isabel freak out even more. It's more dramatic for the TV show. It's more dramatic this way. But like, how fun would it have been if there was just a Ricky Martin cameo? Yeah. I'm sure they can't afford a Ricky Martin cameo. <laughs> okay, but she could have sent Isabel, like, literally anything. She could have yes. sent her an image of puppy dogs and flowers and unicorns and rainbows. And instead, she was like, what about this really scary thing? Yeah. The other thing I hated about this is that it confirms Tess was sending Max thoughts of them kissing, but it doesn't seem like Tess was in any way controlling Max's actions. Oh, no, no. So- not at all. Max, of his own volition, decided to cheat on Liz. Yeah. Max had thoughts of kissing Tess in his head, but when he actually kissed her, that was 100% his decision. Oh, what absolutely. the heck? I never thought otherwise. But I don't think that Tess sends people thoughts. She makes people perceive differently. She makes people think they're seeing something that they don't. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like he was having visions the same way that like Liz had visions when they were kissing or that he had visions when he saved her. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And Liz didn't like hijack a spaceship from NASA and go off to find the whirlpool galaxy or whatever. Yeah. She was just like, okay, I have control over myself. I know how to act in a way that's not going to seriously hurt the person I love. Mm-hmm. Max. Yeah, absolutely. Max is guilty for that. Yeah, I was never on the Max and Liz ship, but now I'm like, hmm, what other ships are available? I would like to get on one of those, please. Because Liz deserves better. We're all on the good ship, Maribel. Yep. Yes, absolutely. But like who, like, I don't really want Max to be with Tess, but I also don't want Max to keep hurting Liz. I mean, you can want Max to be single. Yeah. You could just be alone. <laughs> but... Elisa, television has told me you can't be single and be happy. So, like, should Liz and Tess get together? Uh, I don't think that's going to work out. <laughs> they have to be with someone or else what is their purpose as women? Uh, well, anyway, we're back <laughs> to Michael and 
Nazaro. And mm-hmm. uh, Michael is trying desperately to um, to get his fingerprint to change. And there's an FBI agent coming. And Nazaro says, basically, without saying so much, he says, if you can't do this by the time this guy walks through the door, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And cut his hand off and use that. So get your shit together. Because scare tactics always work for learning, right? Yeah. That's how we get kids to learn. So, okay, a couple things that I liked from the scene before that happens are that Michael's intense concentration causes a light bulb behind him to explode, which we haven't seen before. Cool. It is an element of the new series that them, like, using their powers affects electricity. I don't know if they'll explore that more Ooh. in the current series, but I thought it was very cool. They're doing so much yelling for people who are trying to, like, <laughs> keep things True. under the radar. But mm-hmm. the other thing I really liked was... Nesedo tells Michael the ability to change his fingerprints is inside of him. It's part of his program. And Michael says, hey, I didn't get the manual, okay? I know. Yeah. I Keeping your sass, Michael. Even when, like, things are super intense, Michael's just like, all right, I've got spiky hair and a sassy attitude, so calm yourself down. And I then the FBI agent walks in right as Michael successfully changes his fingerprint and there's some, like, fancy glowy fingers. And then Nisero fucking kills him anyway. And this FBI agent, just so you all know, is played by Jason Winston George, who plays an important character on Grey's Anatomy. He plays Ben Warren on Grey's Anatomy. And he's just, he's very young here, so I almost didn't recognize him. I had to check IMDb. Which of the 4,000 seasons of Grey's Anatomy is he He's in a whole bunch of them starting in season... (laughs) I don't know, six or seven or eight or nine or ten. Does he overlap (laughs) with Katherine Heigl at all? Uh, I think. I think he does. I wonder if they, like, were like, hey, I recognize you. Okay, so, like, Nisato's go-to move is just murdering people, Mm -hmm. which I sort of get because he hates humans or whatever but like especially these humans in this case it seems like it would be more in their best interest for him to just like knock the guy out or tie him up or something because it's going to draw all this mm-hmm. attention well but his his, doing that? M- his mindset behind that though is because we had the experience earlier with the agent that uh-huh. he was shapeshifted into walked by and they had a close call. So he's like, I can't have, like, I can't have a two of us in one place again, so I'm going to go ri- get rid of this guy. Like, that's his mindset behind it. But he didn't get rid of him because the body's still there. No, exactly. Yeah. He yeah. just freaking leaves him there in plain view. Whether you kill him or knock him out, you can put him under a sheet in the morgue. You could put him in one of the freezer drawers in the morgue. They're already so in the morgue. So many hiding places. But Nisato just, like, sucks the essence out of him to yeah. shapeshift. It's very stupid. Nisato can manipulate the molecules on Michael's clothes, I guess, but not his face or hair. So he hands Michael a comb. Hands him a comb. When we get the shot of Nisato over Michael's shoulder, there's a little goof here for anyone who pays attention to these things. Because Nisato has already magicked Michael's suit onto him at this point. But when we get this last shot of Michael reluctantly like grabbing the comb from him, Michael's clearly still wearing his jean Oops, jacket. I missed it. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Oops. Yeah, but can I, I say Brendan Fair looks very nice mm-hmm. in a suit? Mm-hmm. I just did a chef's with kiss or for without those who the spiky see. hair. He looks very nice either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks he looks so good. Boy cleans up yes, nice. He yeah, does. he looks like my prom, my turnabout dance date. <laughs> nice. Based on the pictures I've seen of Brendan Fair in real life, I feel like he di- at least in this period like didn't dress up a lot to go to red carpet events because. This was like the period of casual wear. Even if you've obsessively searched for him for social media purposes, there have not been a lot of pictures of him in formal wear. Hmm. 
And then we head back to the White Room again. There's a lot of back and forth to the White Room in this episode. Mm. My notes are very confusing. Where Pierce has like the most unconvincing, like, I'm gonna slap you upside the head, boy, like backhand, like fake out (laughs) where then he doesn't actually do it. And I was not convinced at all. But, like, also why? Because he's about to threaten vivisection while Max is conscious. So, like, is slapping him across the face supposed to be scary at this point after everything he's been through? Right. But also, like, he already has both of the orbs. I think everyone else on the show should study the efficiency of Pierce's operation. He's gotten these things pretty much immediately while they've been wandering around all day accomplishing nothing. I'm just saying... <laughs> He's evil, but, like, the trains run on time. But, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll give him that much. But what he's threatening Max with is, like, legitimately terrifying. Like, they're going to cut him open while he's conscious of it all. While they give him IV bags filled with (laughs) Kool-Aid. Which I had in my notes earlier, but somehow we breezed past that without me mentioning the Kool-Aid filled IV bags. Yeah, they're very neon. We get a super quick scene where we see that Michael's fingerprint changing worked because he gets through the security scanner. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Michael. All right, Michael. Good work. And then we go to Isabel and Tess back in their little area. Isabel is wearing a wristwatch that clearly shows that it's like 1015-ish. So just don't put wristwatches on them. You know, it's like, whatever. It's not that hard. It's fine. They're going to follow Nisado's plan, um, which I'm glad he thought really far ahead. I don't know when he told them because it seemed like we saw most of their exchange and he never told them, but maybe his whole test and test told us, but it's whatever. They know the plan. The plan is in action. The plan is happening. Yeah. And then back in the white room, as the physical torture of Max is about to resume, we come back to our philosophical mindset and Max says to Pierce, Who's inhuman now? I had another moment where I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah. Like, of course, when you give up your moral compass to fight the quote unquote Mm -hmm. bad guy, when you're willing to do whatever it takes to win, you are inevitably going to become the bad guy. Like, there's no way for you not to become the thing that you think you despise when you go down this path. And Mm -hmm. I don't think Pierce or Nisado have realized it, but they're both on that same road. And I would say... Generally, if you are torturing and killing someone, you're not the good guy. If you are killing people, you're not the good guy. Sorry to say. And now Izzy is going to attempt to dream walk or awake walk because Max is not asleep, but she desperately needs to get into his head so she can communicate the plan to him. And it works. She gets in there, lets him know he needs to get Pierce alone at all costs. And he manages to communicate to her that what Pierce wants is to see the orbs work. And then we have this little quick cutaway, and this is where Isabel pulls out the picture of Max that she has. He's twirling a basketball on his index finger. It's just, like, very sweet and innocent. It's like his team sport school yeah, photo. I don't know. Or just, like, in the backyard playing with mm-hmm. the Evans family is what I was thinking of. Like, that scene from earlier in the season where Michael is kind of creepily watching yeah. them all play basketball together. Yeah. Watching them be a family together. Yeah, but Isabel tells Tess that she has to do something because they think, like, 
they want Max to make the orbs work, so she has, like, that's the image. She's setting Tess up for success by, like, saying this is the image that you need to project. The orbs have to do yeah. something. It can be anything. Nobody knows what's supposed to happen with them. It can be anything. As long as you don't hold them up to your face like a telephone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like that everyone has a part to play, and everyone's part yeah. is really important. Like, if any of them mm-hmm. had screwed this up, the plan wouldn't have worked, and so I appreciate that, like, they're all trusted yeah. to play their great roles. great teamwork. Yeah, they, all of them need to be in place for it to work. Yeah. And then they cut open Max while he's awake. And oh my gosh. It, it makes me cringe yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because I think we didn't mention it, but like at a certain point, uh, they he Pierce has the guy hold up a scalpel and he says, one will hurt Ugh, yeah. scalpel and one will help this uh, syringe with Ugh. drugs. Syringe. So, yeah. so creepy. And they start to it's cut so him awful. open. And like Max thinks really quickly. Isabel is like, you need to get Pierce alone. And Max despite all of the physical and psychological harm being done to him thinks fast and it's like okay i'll tell you how the orbs work but only you pierce and gets him to clear out the room which is exactly what mm-hmm. they need because he knows pierce's ego is going to get the better of him and, yeah. that and pierce, his curiosity this is mm-hmm. what he wants at all costs and so he will follow instructions at this point but like it's really impressive that under that much stress max is able to yeah, come up yeah, on the fly really with this little plan it's impressive that he could even do anything or like speak. Warm coherent yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. That he was even conscious. Yeah. So we see that like there's definitely a section of that wall that it that we saw had seen Pierce looking through before. So this is like a two way mirror, even though on the other side, it looks like white tile. Yeah. Nisado busts in just as Pierce is starting to believe that Max is doing something with the orbs. And Pierce is in this kind of like trance for a little bit as Tess is controlling him, which gives the, which gives Michael time to take Max with him. But Nisado is like, no, 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 you go. I have something I need to do. Murder. It's murder. The thing he I didn't see murder. it as so much of a trance yeah. as like, he just, he wasn't reacting because he was in a room and nothing had He's changed. You know, he was just seeing Max yeah. holding the things. Right. Still, yeah. yeah. Which is, that's a pretty cool power test. Yeah. yeah. But also really scary if you are around her and yes. have no idea at any time. Absolutely. What you're yeah. Reality. It's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't seem super trustworthy at this point. <laughs> but so Michael drags uh, drags Max out and leaves Nisero in there to do whatever it is he needs to do. Murder. And manages to get him out and away before the other agents show up. And then the other agents shoot mm-hmm. Nisero. They shoot him up yeah. real good. I'm sure he'll be fine, right? He'll be fine. He had a plan, right? We shall yeah. see. And then this is like my favorite part of the episode, I think, because as Michael is trying to drag Max out and escape, Valenti yes! to the rescue! Yes! I don't know how he got into the military base, but he got in and he helps get Michael and Max out at the last second and he shoots Pierce and he rescues them. Once again, awesome. showing that he will help protect them and can be on their side if they let him. Yes. Yes. And importantly, he shoots Pierce non-fatally because Pierce is still trying to get to them as we see to be continued. Yes, but he can't get out through the through the handprint door because he's got blood all over his hand and it can't register his fingerprint. I assume that's why, right? Just because of the blood? Why it didn't work? So when Michael was going through, it changed really quickly and I 
I assume this was intentional because it was like a visual effect that they put in. Like it changed really quickly from like approved to denied. And so I don't know, maybe something happened like the system went into lockdown or something. Oh, because didn't he say to lock down oh. the building but before that? Yeah. He screwed himself over. Yes. Yeah, Pierce screwed himself over. Yes. That's yeah, that's how Good I interpreted point. it. Good point. I was just thinking the blood was impeding the fingerprint, but you're right. If he locked down the building, now he's locked himself in while they're getting out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the blood didn't help, but yeah. I think there are other things. Anyway. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Oh my gosh, we did it. What an episode. (sighs) Lisa, what kind of questions do you have that weren't already brought up in the course of the episode? I feel like most of my questions, I just kind of brought them up as they happened. Okay, so seriously, where are their parents? I know I asked that, but like, come on. How does time work? We talked about that. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, We talked about Tess. I am very suspicious. I can't imagine that she doesn't actually know what Nisado is up to, or at least have an inkling. We'll see. Curious about Tess's thinking she could feel if something happens to Max. What I'm specifically curious about is if this is something that the other aliens could develop, like this connectedness, this feeling for each other. Mm -hmm. We still don't know what makes the handprints appear because we know that they showed up when Nisado kills. We know that they Mm -hmm. showed up when Max heals, but they don't show up when like Izzy's heating up coffee or a taco. So I'm curious about that. Um, I already raised the question about shape-shifting powers. He says he can change into just humans though, right? Like he can't change into a cow or a daisy or a cloud. Did he say that? I don't know. It seems like he implied he could only turn into humans. What a bummer. But it could be really useful. Like if he could change himself into a table, he could have been yeah. in the white room the whole time. I'm <laughs> curious how that works. If he doesn't have a human body, what in the heck is he made of? How does it look so similar to human bones from the outside? It's an alien substance. Okay. I'm also curious what else, like if Michael can change his fingerprints, can the aliens change other things about their appearance? Is that a power? I, I assume so. I thought that, you and, know, it that was just like him learning the tip of the iceberg when it comes to shape-shifting, right? Because I would think that's the same power. But why is shape-shifting then something Nisado can do as an alien? And our young friends have Mm. not alien powers, but human powers. Why would they be the same? Good point. Mm. Also, will Michael ever get his original fingerprints back? Because those would be really important for him, for sure. (laughs) Identity purposes. I hope he remembered what they looked like. I don't know. Also in the books, and I also don't feel like this is a spoiler, but we can cut it out if you do. It comes up fairly early on. But like they can alter their appearances and the appearances of other people. Like they can put their hands on someone and move their molecules around. It's part of the molecular manipulation that they can like change physical appearance of humans. I think it'd be really cool if we saw that. Which makes sense because those are molecules too. Right. Literally everything is molecule. So if you can manipulate them like you're pretty good. Yeah, they should already be able think. to manipulate their facial structure or whatever. Yeah. The future human things I had so many questions about. I think we talked about most of them. I really want to know how whoever engineered them knew what future humans would be like. And like, why do they need to be aliens if they're looking at future humans? I Okay, also... Maybe we could entertain the idea that since all this information was provided by Nasedo, who is an asshole and a killer, mm-hmm. maybe he was lying. This is fair. Yeah. This is, that answers right? a lot of questions <laughs> for us. Yep. Everyone's a liar at the end. You know, maybe they're not human and they are alien <laughs> yeah. and it's not about humans evolved. 
which is why he said several thousand years because he doesn't know about evolution cool i like that theory um the final thing i'm curious about on their powers is so far we've seen mackle mikes and isabel all use different powers but if their brains are all tapping into their full potentials do they all have access to all of the powers that the other ones have? And like, will they develop those Theoretically. as the goes on? I would love to see Michael dreamwalking. <laughs> I feel like he would use it for like, not the most innocent of things. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he would be tempted to use it but he's for not those evil. purposes. But then he would like have yeah. a little talk with himself. And just like, I don't know, what would he... I feel like use it the same way that I... Um, postulated that Isabel and Alex used it like hey Maria I know I can't like sneak into your room for real but hey girl let's do some stuff you know if I had that power I wouldn't just be like let's see what my friends are doing in their dreams it'd be like let's see what Beyonce is doing in her dream yeah what's Beyonce you know (laughs) (laughs) let me see what like Barack Obama dreams about more importantly what Michelle Obama dreams about you know oh way more importantly yeah and like what do the dogs dream about I wonder what my yes oh my god oh me too does this power um extend to non-humans hopefully Right. And does it extend outside of their physical locality? I think in the books, what they say is like they can see the dream orbs of everyone who's currently asleep in their immediate vicinity. Mm. Yeah, so it works differently there. But we're not following the books, so maybe it's just whatever. Mm hmm. Yeah, maybe they can see what anyone's thinking or dreaming. Who knows? Yeah, my understanding is as long as Isabel has a photo. Mm-hmm. Yes. But why would she need the photo if Max is awake? Because that's just, that's how she connects. Maybe that's just how she helps focus her energy. It's just like her little trigger for whatever brain yeah. process she's doing. Yeah. yeah. It's the way she can connect with the person. Yeah. Okay. All right. So next we have Lisa's predictions. So Lisa, the next episode is our season one finale. Ah, and the episode title is Destiny. And it's to be continued from this episode of The White Room. So where do you see the immediate future of our heroes and heroines and villains going based on where we ended this episode? First of all, I'm very excited that Jim got to swoop in and save the day. And I can't wait to see how the kids all react to that. I hope they fully trust him at this point. He has certainly proven himself. But we'll see. I know they've been reluctant for a long time, but that's what I'm hoping is that like he gets to be, I mean, not one of the gang because that'd be weird, but like they all need an adult to talk to. I would like to see him fill more of that role and I think they're on that path. So I'm happy. I think that Max and Liz will end the season broken up because Jason Kasem's keeps insist or kept at the time insisting that this was a Romeo and Juliet story. And I assume he's not going to kill them both off. <laughs> Which means they can't be together because they're star-crossed lovers. I guess in this case, like, literally the stars have screwed them over. Um, So I think that they're going to break up. And because it's called Destiny, I'm imagining that Max chooses to embrace his alien destiny and go be with Tess. Or maybe Liz is just like, you already kissed her. You treated me really badly. Just, like, go do your destiny thing and see how that works out for you. Go away. I don't know. (laughs) I think they break up, though. Uh, not permanently, because they have to do this thing for presumably the whole run of the series. I think that like pretty much every TV show, the psychological effects of this experience on everyone won't be fully explored or like given their proper weight. Um, Max was just straight up tortured. And so 
this is going to have a severe and serious effect on him for the rest of his life, which maybe isn't the most interesting or practical thing to convey in a television show, but I also think it's dangerous and potentially harmful to just gloss over it and act like trauma isn't a big deal and like trauma doesn't affect people in really serious ways. I hope that they address it, but like I'm not holding out for that. And I also think that this mythology that they're trying to build is never going to make sense to me. And I'm really disappointed because I was totally looking forward to the second season being more sci-fi driven. But if this is how they do sci-fi, no thank you, sirs. Think of it more as fantasy. Maybe that'll help you. (sighs) Maybe that'll help me. They live in a different universe than (laughs) us. Time and distance don't make sense. No, evolution evolution works differently. Like that movie Evolution, where things evolved within minutes. Oh, God. Really fast. I don't think it's going to make me feel better to equate this (laughs) with that garbage pile. (laughs) Fuck that movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on that note... (laughs) Yeah, well, on that note, let's uh, leave on a happier point uh, with Hot and Saucy. Now let's see who's hot and saucy. Saucy. I'm really struggling here, you guys. I have one. Oh, I have one. I don't. Lorena, I wonder if ours is the same. Go for it. Mine is Michael Guerin in a suit. Heck Yes, that is also mine. With his hair it's split just back, hot. especially. <laughs> All right, that was the only one I could think of. There's no saucy there. It's just hot. Oh, he's just Michael. Real oh, hot. I think he's saucy. Like, I mean, he's saucy right before yeah. that, but when he's in the suit, he's not particularly saucy. Right. Well, so I like that. Maybe it's not saucy, but like, I like that he has tapped into these powers he didn't know about. He's feeling so, like, confident. Looks really good. But he's also exercising a part of his brain that he hasn't exercised before. He's like tapping into these deep reserves of power within himself, but they're not like a power that harms other people. It's a power that yeah. helps other people. And that's so sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's in a suit. Mm, I love a good yeah, suit. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't hurt. His hair, his hair is all, like, slicked. Yes. Uh, he looks really good. Yeah. Do you just want to jump on the bandwagon with our hot and saucy so, Oh, yeah. Nope, that's yeah. mine. Because, Great. honestly, there's not much hotness. I, I don't know. I feel like it's, like, disrespectful of this very somber episode. Oh, yeah. Um, not really, but you know. Yeah. My second place pick in this case, since it was such a somber episode, I do actually have a second place as well. It was Alex when he tells um, Izzy oh, that he's yeah. going to like be her anchor, basically, and make sure she comes back to this world okay. It's Which very is, again, sweet. just like Alex being like such a like beautiful, wonderful soul. That's hot. Yeah, just, it's like, hot good to support people, are people. Hot. And Alex is just continues to show his goodness so that's my runner-up but then that was my pick until michael was in a suit and then i had to change it yeah then everything's out the window i my runner-up was of course jim and his stubble (laughs) i think you made that very clear (laughs) but i also had strong feelings about tess's zigzag side part Mm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah for me it's just michael in that suit. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the only thing going for this episode for me. <laughs> Just Michael. Thanks for joining us for this action-packed episode that was also really difficult to watch. We'll be back Tuesday, June 9th with Season 1, Episode 22, Destiny, 
which is the season finale. But first, we'll be with you next Tuesday for our mini-sode on the Ashtar Command, where you'll learn about the Integratron, a time machine in the California desert. And then the following Tuesday, June 23rd, we'll be coming at you with our Season 1 Wrap-Up and Review. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and review to help other folks find us. And until our next episode, you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce to get all sorts of content while you wait until you have us in your ears again. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just want to say hi, you can always send us an email at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. You can find extensive and awesome show notes and a lot more info at our website, roswellhotsauce.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, I would just like to say... Hey, I didn't get the manual, okay?